Well, when Russia was under communist rule, there was a story that was going around about two Russian guards who burst into a prayer meeting being held, and they were heavily armed. And they pointed the guns at the people in the prayer meeting, and they said, if you are not willing to die for your faith today, get up and leave. And at that moment, about half the professing Christians in the room got up and left the room. After that, they shut the doors, they put down their guns, and they got out Bibles. And they sat down with the remaining people, and they said, we are believers, but we didn't want to risk fellowship until we could separate the sheep from the goats. What would you have done if you had been in that situation? Would you have left the room, or would you have stayed? Well, we can't think of a bigger test than if we are being faced with our death for our faith, right? And most likely, hopefully, we will not have to face something like that. And these men, thankfully, it was just a test of their faith, but they passed, didn't they? It was pretty telling. <clears throat> well, Paul was wondering the same thing of the Thessalonians. They were under persecution and he's wondering, are they standing firm or did they leave the room? We will witness his reaction to the good news he receives from Timothy as he finds out that they are in fact still in the faith and even stronger than ever. And we will see today how when we live a life of faith and love, we too can withstand the persecution when it comes our way and stand firm. So let's read out of 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 13. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may God our Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Well, last week we were left off uh, with a glimpse into Paul's concern for the Thessalonians. As we know, Paul had spent some time with them, but many scholars believe it was maybe a month at the most. And in that time, he was able to share the gospel and they came to a point of repentance and faith and became true believers. But then he had to leave because of persecution coming, he had to flee, he had to go and leave them alone, and they were baby Christians. All they knew was the gospel, and that they were now believers and had the Holy Spirit, but now they have no leader, no one to help them along, no one to teach them. And Paul says this in, in verse five from last week, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. See, before the Thessalonians became Christians, they were from all different walks of life. Uh, they were just like you and I, different ages, different ethnicities, different uh, socioeconomic statuses. They were uh, from different backgrounds. Some of them worshiped idols, some of them worshiped false gods. 
So under persecution, you can, you can see how Paul would be concerned that once this persecution came, they'd say, I'm out of here. I'm gonna go back to my old ways. Life was easier then. It's a temptation, it's a real temptation that he knew that they'd be facing. If they'd gone back to idols, then that meant that they'd also have no connection to Paul or Timothy. What would they need them for, right? So that was also a concern. So he was wondering if their feelings for Christ had dwindled, had their feelings for him dwindled as well? So he sent Timothy, and Timothy comes back with good news. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 7, we're gonna read it again. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. What a comfort and encouragement it was for Paul to know that even under persecution, they had stood firm, but also that their feelings for him had not changed. That's encouraging. And we can see that in our everyday lives, in our relationships, right? We want our friends, we want our loved ones, we want the feelings to be mutual, so to speak. I remember when I was in college, I went to Florida State University, and I had a, a chance to do an exchange program in Costa Rica. And it was gonna be a two-month program. I would go and live with a family and study there at the university and tour around the country. Well, about four months before I was to leave, I started dating my boyfriend, who's now my husband. And so as the date approached for that trip to come up, I began to get anxious. And I began to get anxious because I thought, he's not gonna wait for me. If I go on this trip, I'm gonna come home and he'll have moved on. Our relationship is too young for this kind of test. And so I didn't wanna go but my parents had paid for the trip, so I was going, whether I wanted to or not. And off I went, and we, we agreed to write each other, we agreed to keep in touch, he agreed to wait for me. And so I kept up my end of the deal. I wrote letters probably every other day, telling him what I was doing, telling him how much I missed him, and sticking him in the mail, and sticking him in the mail. And weeks and weeks and weeks went by, and I heard nothing back. And I began to think that my worst fear had come true. I said, that's it, he's moved on, we're done. And at that point, I didn't wanna stay. I, I just wanted to go home. I didn't wanna be on that trip anymore. But then one day, I got a manila envelope in the mail and it had a big bump in it. And I opened it and it was a dictaphone. So does anyone remember what a dictaphone is? The little recording device with the tiny little tape in it, like the answering machine tapes. He had taken that and had recorded from beginning to end, message after message after message to me. All saying, I miss you. I can't wait to see you again. I wish I was there with you. That was gold. <laughs> I listened to it over and over and over again. But not only that, it encouraged me to stay encouraged me to stick out that trip because I knew when I got home, he'd be waiting for me. Well, how encouraging is our text today? Again, in verse six through seven, Timothy says, or Paul says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. A lot of commentators believe that Paul wrote this letter almost immediately after hearing Timothy's report. So you can just picture him getting this good news and running and getting you know, paper and writing materials and penning this letter out of excitement, out of just reborn motivation. In 1 Thessalonians 3 verses eight through 10, it says, for now we live 
if you are standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith? How encouraged would you be if you received a letter like this? One that said, I'm thanking God for you. I am joyful because of you. I pray to see you again. So that brings me to point number one. We need to, number one, commit to encourage one another. Commit to encourage one another. But if we're gonna encourage one another, we need to know what encouragement is. Oftentimes we think it's giving a compliment or giving praise, pat on the back, and, and it can be. That's a form of encouragement, but what encur encouragement literally means is it literally means to give courage. It's like giving a gift. So we have Christmas coming up. I want you to picture your Christmas tree and underneath it is this wrapped gift and it has your name on it. And you open it up and inside is courage. I don't know what courage looks like. You can conjure up whatever image you want in your mind, but inside is courage. And this courage is going to enable you to do things that you didn't think you could do. And it's going to enable you to go past limits that you thought you'd set for yourself. Because that's what encouragement's meant to do. It's meant to spur us on. And it's meant to grow us. And as our text said back in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12, Paul says this, he said, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom. That doesn't sound like a pat on the back or a compliment, right? That sounds like he wants them to go and do something. He's pairing it together with words like exhorted and charged. We're gonna look at two groups of people we need to be extending encouragement to among probably many others, but we're gonna be focusing on two. First is we need to encourage other believers. We need to encourage the women that are right around us right now. We need to be extending encouragement to other believers, and one good reason is because if we don't give godly encouragement, the world is gonna give worldly encouragement. And it looks much different, doesn't it? Women, we know, are emotional. And when we need encouragement, oftentimes emotions are running really high, aren't they? And so if we go to the world for encouragement, we're gonna get things that appeal to those emotions. We're gonna get things that appeal to our comfort and our peace. But godly encouragement is much different. Godly encouragement is gonna make us grow to be more like Christ. It's gonna make us stronger. It's gonna enable us to stand firm when trials come, when persecution comes. So just a few examples in life. We need encouragement all the time, maybe in marriage. Maybe you have a friend who's in a difficult marriage, uh, unhappy marriage, we hear it all the time. If she goes to the world, the world is gonna tell her, you deserve to be happy. You deserve better. Go out and find your soulmate. She's gonna get things like that. But if you're to give her godly encouragement, we need to return her to Mark 10, 9, and say what therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. That's God's word. We need to encourage her to stay. Love him when he's unlovable, respect him when he's not respectable. And these are not easy things to do, but it's gonna help her to grow to be more like Christ. Well, what about in the workplace? For those of you that work outside the home, it is a jungle out there, right? You are rubbing shoulders six, seven, eight, ten hours a day with a lot of non-believers, most likely. That's a lot of influence. 
We need to be encouraging our friends who are in the workplace and to be encouraged if we are working. Because if the world encourages us, they're gonna tell us that we need to do whatever possible to climb that corporate ladder. Step on whoever you need to to get there. You gotta schmooze the right people. And you gotta fit in, you gotta laugh at all the jokes. You gotta go to all the after work activities. But we need to be giving godly encouragement. We need to encourage women to not compromise their faith. Encourage them to withstand the influence of their unbelieving coworkers. And it's gonna be hard. Pray for discernment for them. Turn them to Romans 12:2 that says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We need to encourage each other in ministry. Because we know if you're doing ministry, the enemy's gonna throw the darts, right? He doesn't want us going out there and doing any work for the Lord, especially that that's gonna go out and reach people for Christ. So we need encouragement in ministry. We need to encourage people, first of all, to serve. If we know people who aren't serving for whatever reason, and people give a lot of reasons. I'm, I'm, I'm a new believer, what do I know? I'm ill-equipped. That's where we need to step in and give them that encouragement that God gave them gifts and they are to serve the church. They are to use them for his glory and his church body. And we need to encourage those who are serving. We have so many highly committed participants in this church. How blessed we are, right? We need to encourage those that are serving and do it specifically. Going back to encouragement, it, it can be a pat on the back, it can be a great job, and everyone loves to hear that. But what's gonna help people to grow is to give them a specific encouragement. For instance, you know, Fall Fest. Instead of saying, great job with Fall Fest. Say, name something specific. The worship this year was unreal. I saw people really getting into it and being affected by it. Give them specifics so that they will go out and do more. Well, back to our passage we see in verse eight. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. That's our memory verse this week. A little bit of an easier one, huh? <laughs> For now we live. It's a really, really strong statement Paul makes. And it's not about life and death. He wasn't on the verge of his heart stopping beating and now he's alive again. It, it shows what his motivation in life is. It shows what drives him. I mean, Paul was the one that said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So anything to do with making more disciples and spreading the word of Christ is what drives him in life. So he heals, here's this good news, that they are standing firm in the faith and the work that he had done with them was not in vain, but it's growing. And it's just this, this boost that he needed to keep on going, to keep on pressing on. We know that Paul is sitting in jail and, just, and he was wondering what was happening to them. If he had heard contrary news, what if Timothy had come back and said, I hate to say this, Paul, but they've wandered away from the faith. They, they're no longer walking with the Lord. They went back to idols. Think about how deflating and discouraging that would have been. But he hears, we hear this, for now we live. When he says that, we hear all that doubt, that fear, and that weariness, it just disappears. And he's ready to keep going. In verse 10 he says, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith, Paul's motivated. He's ready to get up and get back to the Thessalonians and finish the work that he started with them. So the second group of people we need to be encouraging is we need to be encouraging our pastors and our ministry leaders 
they need encouragement. We are so blessed to be in a church where the Bible is central. That's one of our eight distinctives and it's probably one of my favorites uh, for sure. And our pastors, they pour themselves out for us each and every week in all the various ministries and on the weekends. Can we encourage them more? I'm sure we already are, but can we encourage them more? Can we get them to the point where they say, and now we live because you are standing firm in the Lord? I think one of the best ways we can be an encouragement to our pastors and ministry leaders is to be doers of the word to do what we're hearing from the pulpit, whether it's on the weekends or all the various ministries that go on throughout the week, to go out and apply the teachings and sermons. That's the biggest encouragement to them. Matthew 7, 24 says, everyone who then, then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. It sounds a lot like persecution coming and someone standing firm, right? Our pastors, if they saw our entire congregation growing and applying the word that they're hearing in the teachings, that would be, how, how could that not be an encouragement to them, right? If they knew that their flock was standing firm and their house was built on that rock. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for our pastors and ministry leaders. If they're not already on your prayer list, make today the day that they all get on. And I remember when I first started attending Compass, you could pray for all the pastors and get through them in one week. <laughs> and now we gotta double up, right? Which is a good thing, it's a good thing that we have more and more to shepherd, more and more believers that are coming to this church. So make sure they're on your prayer list, as well as ministry leaders. Pray for their discernment. Pray that they would make the right choices, not only between right and wrong, but good and better. Pray for their time in the word. They are really busy, but pray that they have that protected time every single day to get into God's word. Pray for their health. I think that goes without saying. They need to be physically able to do the work that God has put in front of them to do. Pray for their families, and specifically pray for their roles that they have in their families. Are they a father, are they a husband? Are they a wife, are they a mother? Pray that they would live out those roles the way God intended. And, and I think lastly, and most, probably most importantly, pray for protection from the enemy. Because our pastors and ministry leaders, they're human, and they are not above temptation. And the enemy would love nothing more than to take someone like that down. So we need to be praying for that protection. Commit to praying for our pastors and leaders. Well, we know Paul was no stranger to prayer, right? We see him weave prayer anywhere he can. To every letter of his churches, he is praying for them in the midst of the letters. The second half of our passage is a prayer Paul directs to God for the Thessalonians. Let's reread verses 11 through 13. And now may, now may God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So the first half of our passage was encouragement. Paul is telling the, the uh, Thessalonians just how happy and joyful he is because of them. But the second half is a prayer. Paul turns to prayer whenever he can because he knows that God is the only one that can get it done. He sets this example over and over and over again. 
And he says that we need to be imitators of him as he imitates Christ. So we need to do this with our prayer lives. So that leads me to point number two. We need to commit to pray for one another. Commit to pray for one another. In verse 12, he asks God to direct our way to you. And he's already stated that he's prayed for them in the past to see them face to face. This was something really important to him, to see that face-to-face meeting come to fruition. Because Paul knows the importance of Christian fellowship. He knows the importance of being with other believers. It strengthens a church. It strengthens the individual. So we need to point A, a pray that we would want to meet together more. We're probably already meeting together. You guys are all here at Bible study, which is great, but pray that we would want to meet together more. Paul prays in verse 11, now may God our Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. He wants to see them and we should wanna see our church family. And that's what it is, it's a church family, right? We should wanna hang out with our family. We should wanna talk with our family. But it's a little different than a regular family, right? Because we're not blood. Some of you may be, some of you may be siblings or mothers and daughters. But for the most part, we all come from different backgrounds, much like the Thessalonians. Uh, We're all different ages in this room, different age ranges. But Paul knows that that doesn't matter when you have Christ. A wise person told me when I first became a Christian, she said it doesn't matter if you have nothing in common with somebody. If you have Christ, you have everything. That's so true, isn't it? Have you ever been in a social situation or even just out and about and you meet somebody and you start the small talk and you kind of get the gist that they may be a believer. They're throwing out some lingo, right? And so you ask, are you a believer? And they say yes. And you realize that they are a true believer. Have you ever felt just those doors open? right? And you just, you have this connection and the small talk is gone. All of a sudden you're sharing your testimony. You're talking about what God's done in your life, what God's doing in your life. You want to know what God's doing in their life. You have this connection with an almost perfect stranger because you have Christ. You know, Pastor Mike preached on Acts 2 a few weeks ago and he talked about verse 42 in particular. Acts 2 verse 42 really stuck out to me. And it reads, as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This verse gives us this really complete picture of what it looks like to fellowship back then. But it doesn't change for today, right? God's word does not change yesterday, today, or tomorrow. This is what it should look like for us now. And I can say that I saw this played out almost perfectly at our retreat. If you were at our retreat, uh, you remember the upper room. If you were not, I'm gonna describe it for you. The upper room was just that. It was a room, like a loft. You had to go upstairs to get there. And upstairs was a bunch of cushy couches. There was a fireplace. There were refreshments, pool tables, foosball tables, ping pong tables, everything you could imagine. And after each session, that's where everyone went up to gather at what was called the chat and chill. Well, on Friday night, we started our session. Uh, Stephanie Schwartz kicked us off with a bang as always, such a great message to start off on the Book of Ruth. And everyone headed up to the upper room and I came up a little later so a lot of people were already up there. And I walked up the stairs and I scanned the room. And this is what I saw. I saw a group of women on the couches talking about Stephanie's message, talking about Ruth and Naomi, talking about the takeaways they already got from that night. 
I looked over and I saw women having coffee and tea and flavored waters and refreshments together, talking, breaking bread. I saw women in the back playing pool and foosball and ping pong and laughing and joking and cheering each other on in the games they were playing together. And then I saw a couple people over in the corner, a little darker, eyes closed, and they were praying. Everything, every base was covered in that one scene. And it was beautiful. Paul's prayer continues. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. Back in verse, you know, in the first part of our thing, he's praising us, right? He's praising, he's praising the Thessalonians, how great their love and faith is, and they're doing this great job. And now we see these words, increase and abound. Well, he's, now he's saying, you're doing great, but I want more. Let's do more. Increase and abound in love. Because Paul knows that if we uh, are complacent in our faith, it's a dangerous place to be. When we are satisfied where we are, and oftentimes when we get praise, that can happen, that can be a catalyst to get us to a point where we think, oh, I'm doing well, okay, I can check that box and move on. And Paul says, no, you need to be increasing and abounding in love. So point B, pray we would love more. Pray that we would love more. And Jesus spoke about love. Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40, he, he was asked, teacher, what is the greatest great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. Jesus knows and Paul knew that, that love is that glue that holds us together. A church that is abounding and increasing in love is gonna be a very strong church and can withstand whatever is thrown at it both for the church and the individual, right? A church that is lacking in love is gonna be weak, it's gonna be vulnerable. I have a friend who goes to a different church and she's expressed to me that she's having trouble breaking into the cliques there. There's women that have these group of friends, they've been friends for 10, 20 years and she goes and uh, she'll talk to them but then she's never kind of invited to the coffee afterwards or to come sit with them here or there. She just can't seem to break in. She's very discouraged. And she's been going there for two years. And so I check in with her every now and then, and I say, how's it going? Are, are you going to, did you go to church this weekend? And I'm noticing a pattern. I'm noticing she's saying more often, no, I didn't make it this weekend. I haven't been in two weeks. You see, when, when you're not loved, when you're not feeling love, the, the desire to meet together is gonna dwindle too. They both affect one another. So in, Paul, in verse 12, uh, Paul says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. So what does it look like to love more and how can we pray for it? We can pray for the needs of people to be met. In your small groups, whether it's Bible study or any other ministry you may partake in, you should know the needs of the people in your small group and they should know your needs. And to the best of our ability, if we are called, we need to meet those needs of one another. We need to pray for more love in marriages. We know that God's, God has demonstrated how Christ loves the church through marriage. It's important to him. We need to pray for each other's marriages, pray for Christ-centered marriages. Pray for the unequally yoked marriages, for salvation to come if it is the Lord's will. We need to pray our love can be a godly example to others. 
others meaning outside the church. You've probably heard that saying that our lives may be the only Bible a person reads. It's a popular one. And that doesn't get us off the hook for evangelism, we know that. But it does hold truth, it does. Because if you are living out your Christianity and people know you are a Christian, they're watching you and they're watching you with much more intent than they would anyone else. They're gonna watch the way you react, they're gonna watch the way you interact with people. And they know, if anything, if anyone knows anything of God, they know God is love, right? And they're gonna watch the way that you love. So how would you be characterized by others outside of our church? Are you observant of others' needs directly around you? Or are you more buried in your phone, buried in your own life to even pay attention to others? As Christians, we need to have excellent peripheral vision. Okay? We can be focused on what we're doing, ministry, family, friends, but we've gotta be seeing out, seeing the people standing there alone, and we need to usher them in and show them love. Are you angry, frustrated, and complaining, and just eager to tell anyone who will listen? Or are you joyful in all circumstances? They're gonna be watching for this. A few years ago, uh, I serve in Navigating Motherhood, and a few years ago there was a table leader who posted on Facebook that she needed, uh, she wanted to know if anyone had some baby coat hangers, you know the ones you put baby clothes on. And she was having a boy, so she specifically said, does anyone have any blue? baby coat hangers. Well, mom of boys, I had a lot and I was getting rid of them. So I answered her and I said, I do. And I'll bring them to you on Friday. And so I did. I brought a garbage bag full of the baby hangers and I walked them over to her table that morning. And she didn't happen to be at the table, but one of her attendees was. And I asked her, I said, can I leave these here for your leader? I told her I'd bring them, just make sure that she gets them. And she said, sure. And I walked away and she goes, you know what? The kindness and love I see at this church is overwhelming. She used that word, overwhelming. And I'm like, it's a bag of hangers, you know? They were destined for goodwill, most likely. This was no skin off my back to do this for another person. I didn't even see it as a sacrifice. But this outsider, she saw it as an act of love. How much more if we were to do more, right? truly sacrifice. It's like those, uh, we would shine. I mean, we truly would shine because it's like those lights you see when there's a grand opening of something, right? You know, the ones that crisscross in the air, they're like the bat signal. You, you get what I'm saying, right? Anyway, when a business opens, they put those big things up and I've been driving around with my kids and we'll see them at night. And you see them, they're miles and miles away. And my kids will say, what is that, mom? And I'll say, oh, something's opening up. What's opening up? What's going on there? They're so curious, and there's one time, we had time, so I said, let's go find out. And we drove around until we found the spotlights. And I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they're huge, they're gigantic. <laughs> I never knew they were that big. But it was fun to kind of find out what it was all about. If we are increasing and abounding in love, we can be like those spotlights. People are gonna look over here and they're gonna say, what is going on over there? What are they doing over there? And Lord willing, they'll get in their cars and they'll come find out. Well, Paul's prayer ends with a prayer for God to establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul's been praying for the Thessalonians that he can return to them. He's been praying uh, for them to uh, increase in their godly knowledge that he hopefully will supply. He is praying for them to increase and abound in love. He's praying these things 
so that they can be ready for the day that Christ returns, so they can be found blameless in holiness. So we need to do the same. Point C is pray we would pursue holiness more. We will not be perfect in this life. We know that. That's why every single one of us in this room needs Jesus. But if we have repented of our sins and put our trust in Christ, we should have the desire to pursue holiness. That should be one of our core desires. Christ's return is what we're waiting for, right? I mean, that's, that's what we yearn for. Maranatha, we say. But are we ready? Will we be found blameless on that day? Will we be found blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus and all his saints, as our text says? What will we be doing on that day, at that moment? What will we be saying? What will we be thinking? Will we be sharing a nugget of gossip when the clouds part and the trumpets sound? Or watching that raunchy Netflix series that everyone's watching but we know we shouldn't be? Or will we be drunk or high on some kind of drug? I hope not. Can you imagine the sinking feeling you would have if you were participating, thinking, or doing anything that was anything short of holy when that moment came? And we don't know when Christ is going to return. The Bible is so clear about that. But let's say for illustration's sake, we did. Let's say that he is going to return tomorrow at 5 p.m. What sins would you eradicate in your life between now and 5 p.m. tomorrow? What sins would you put to death that you have neglected to do and been putting off between now and 5 p.m.? Probably as many, if not all, that you can, right? It's like when someone says they're gonna be at your house in a half an hour, you turn into a miraculous house cleaner, right? Your, your house looks like a museum. Let's pray we pursue holiness as if Christ was returning tomorrow at 5 p.m. because he could. Because he could. Because if we are blameless in holiness, we're ready for that day. And if we're ready for that day, then we're ready for anything that comes toward us in the, in the form of trials or persecution as well. Our study is titled Holiness and Hope, and I think through this, I pray through this study that, that everyone has been praying for themselves to grow in all these areas that we've been touching on. But can we commit to pray for others as well? I'd like to just challenge everybody to commit to one person with, within each of these subcategories. Pray for a person that you know who's neglecting to meet with others. Who do you know that's not showing up? Pray that they would become discontent with their isolation until they get in their car and they get here. Pray for a person who's lacking in love. Who's that person you know that's just too busy for others? Too busy to show love to others. Pray for a person you'd like to see grow in holiness. Is it that uh, new believer that you just took through partners? Or is it your accountability partner who's struggling with sin? Pray for God to make them more holy, grow them in holiness. Go to God in prayer as Paul did because he knows that God can get it done. Take time this week to just write down those names and commit to praying for them. And then be willing to be the answer to that prayer if God calls you to do so. Well, it's not a matter of if but when we, uh, persecution will cross our path, right? And I'm sure most of you have already had experiences or are undergoing some even at the moment. Looking at Hebrews 10.24 really sums up our lesson today. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If we live this out, ladies, we will be ready when the armed guards of this life bust through those doors, and we will not leave the room, because we'll be standing firm in the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for these women who are here today. Thank you for their hearts, that they are open to hearing your word. And we just thank you for your word and that Paul has given it to us in such a clear and concise way that it was applicable then and it's applicable today, Lord. We look forward to Christ's return and we pray that everyone in this room will be ready on that day, will be found blameless in holiness. We pray that each one of us will pursue to encourage one another more, to love one another more, and pursue holiness more, Lord. Help us to grow. Help us to never be complacent in where we're at, but always be willing to do what is next, to be right in your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.